And now, the time fight fans all across the globe have been waiting for. It's the Trackstar Sports MMA main card with your man, The Voice. As always, let's start off with some headlines and hot takes. Conor McGregor faces 20, count them, 20 charges from the incident at Barclays Center. Two of those charges are felonies. And he better hope that he can plead out of those and get some kind of plea bargain deal because being a felon and getting a work visa don't really work together that well. On top of that, he has six restraining orders against him. Two of them from active fighters of Michael Chiesa and Ray Borg. New York was the last state out of all 50 of the United States of America to sanction MMA. And now, with what Connor's done, it's making it look like it was a bad idea. It really puts a black eye on the sport. And again, it could cause New York to rethink things, but all the money that they're making... Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Seeing as when the UFC came to New York for its first card, they grossed the most money ever at Madison Square Garden, the mecca of it all, out of all the concerts, out of all the sporting events. The one day the UFC comes to town, they made more money than anything. Then the UFC turned around and for a sporting event again, made more money in Brooklyn than had been made at the Barclays Center. So, yeah, the likelihood of New York saying, no, we don't want you here, is not as high as it was in the past. Still wasn't a good look. Now, depending on your political leaning, there was something else involved with Conor McGregor that either was beneficial or detrimental. When he was leaving the hotel on Monday, the media was so focused on Conor McGregor that they missed seeing the FBI come in and go after uh, Donald Trump's lawyer. They went and raided his offices, which were right there, uh, and they slipped in as they were slipping out. Salute to Ben folks of MMA Junkie for uh, bringing that out and for sharing that with the world. So I thought I would share that with you all. But yeah, it just, again, depends on your take of things. That was either a great thing or a horrible thing. Now, as far as everything that's been going on, a lot of people have had a number of things to say about what Connor did. One of them being someone with whom Connor has history, someone with whom he's made a lot of money, and that would be Floyd Mayweather. Let's hear what he has to say, and then I'll give a bit of commentary. I feel that when we build a, a certain fight, whether it's boxing or MMA, 
there's a certain way you approach it. The build-up to the Mayweather-McGregor fight was amazing. The Mayweather-Pacquiao fight was amazing. Canelo Mayweather, when you when you built in huge fights of such ma- high magnitude, there's a certain way you go about it. But when the fight is over and you and you out here, I mean, just living your regular life, your everyday life, you must carry yourself in a professional manner. That's what I truly believe. Floyd has a point when it comes to your activity and your actions building up to a fight you're giving a little more leeway i mean things got real dicey with the things said and done by both mcgregor and mayweather in the build-up to their fight but for the most part they were given a pass why because it's combat sports uh you sometimes cross the line you say outlandish things so they were given a pass however in everyday life as floyd said you've got to carry yourself a bit differently you can't be a rampaging wild man that doesn't that doesn't go over really well for you because generally the law is not going to give you a pass when you are endangering the lives of other people great message Maybe not the best messenger, though, seeing as Floyd has had his share of issues when it comes to regular life and conducting himself. Floyd said, and it wasn't a part of the clip that I shared, but within that interview, he also said that you've got to be classy. Floyd did time for alleged domestic abuse against a woman a woman who is the mother of his children that's not a classy move again it's alleged uh, he was convicted there's still questions out there about it I don't know I'm not the man but I do know that that's not a classy move and though what he has to say is correct again uh It opens you up for ridicule when you've got things of that nature in your recent history. It wasn't that long ago that Floyd went through this. All that being said, Floyd still is talking about fighting in MMA. If he were to fight in MMA, more than likely it would be against Conor McGregor. But in that same interview, there was information shared that makes that a little less likely. He said, yes, you know, I'm going to fight in the octagon, which means he's fighting uh, for the UFC. I'm going to fight in the octagon. This is going to happen. Um, Showtime said, or I I can't do this without Showtime. So Showtime has to be involved in it. That's going to be problematic because Dana and Connor have been talking really, really bad about Showtime and specifically the Showtime Sports Vice President, Steven Espinoza. So I, unless there's some things going on behind the scenes, because uh, it's said that the UFC is very, very close to signing their new broadcast agreement, unless there's been just a lot of smokescreen being out there, because recently Dana 
uh, as recently, I want to say as last week at the UFC uh, 25 year press conference had disparaging things to say about Showtime and or Steven Espinosa. I think he said, I'll never work with him again. I'll, you know, I'll never do it now again, unless it's a smokescreen and or a means of negotiating in public. Doesn't seem very likely. So if Showtime has been involved and the UFC has been involved, that seems as if it's an impasse. But hey, crazier things have happened. The fact that they did it with Showtime before was a major feat seeing as Showtime was not very happy about the UFC uh, purchasing Strikeforce as Strikeforce had been on Showtime they liked having that uh, that organization as a part of their offerings because it brought about watches I, I was watching it definitely I was watching uh Strike Force on Showtime, as well as CBS, which was affiliated uh, with it through Viacom. Um, I'm sorry, not through Viacom, but CBS and, and Showtime uh, have been affiliated. But either way it goes, they weren't happy about that, but they were able to get together to do this deal. So who knows? Uh, they may let bygones be bygones and get together, do some more good work. Uh, time will tell I'm not sure if I covered this last week or not but it bears repeating the original Stockton bad boy Nick Diaz will be free to fight in just six short days USADA retroactively suspended him for a year uh, from last year because he failed three whereabouts had three infractions where he was not where he said he would be when they came to test him. And that is considered, um, that's considered an infraction as bad as failing a drug test. So, um, they decided, Hey, you know, we're issuing this suspension of a year. They didn't say anything about it until like April 9th or so which meant he had 10 days and then he'd be eligible to fight again. So on the 19th, he'll be free to fight as far as USADA is concerned. Now, if you know anything about the Diaz brothers, they are both advocates for marijuana. Living in the state of California, they have medical marijuana licenses. And with 420 being the next day, I'm not sure he's going to be ready to fight anytime soon. If he ever fights again, since being out of the fight game for the past year, he has really thrown himself into a number of different things, including some uh, marijuana related business ventures. Um, and whenever you see him, if you follow him on any kind of social media, it's like every day he's in somebody's club. Uh, at three in the morning and that's just not the kind of lifestyle that uh, leads well when you're trying to fight is he eligible to fight yes is that an infusion of life and vitality for the UFC absolutely because if they can get him to fight oh it's a must see Dana 
said he's a needle mover, and that is the truth. He was trying to disparage uh, Nick Nate at the time, but he was like, you know, Nick Nick is a needle mover, and he is. He always has been. He was a needle mover for um, Strike Force and a needle mover for Showtime when that organization was fighting there. He was a needle mover for Elite XC. He's been a needle mover for the UFC. And if Nick Diaz is fighting, oh, I want to see it. And there are a lot of people who feel the same way that I do. Moving on. Tony Ferguson underwent knee surgery to repair his LCL after a freak accident that took him out of UFC 223's main event on April Fool's Day of all days. He posted on Instagram a picture of uh, the wound and he had a ton of staples in his knee where uh, the incision had been made and they were sealing it back together. Uh, It's pretty gruesome, but it is out there to see what I will share is what he said within that post. Said, keep fighting. I can't say it's going to be easy, but I will say everything in my life has prepared me for this test. Whatever you are going through, remember someone has it worse. Thank you, everyone, for your thoughts and prayers. Real talk. Hashtag El Kukui. I hate sitting on the sidelines, but belt or no belt, I won't allow that to define me. This is hashtag my road to recovery XT. Hashtag Tony Ferguson MMA, Snap Jitsu trademark, hashtag Snap Down City. Now, if you don't know about Tony Ferguson uh, and you go to look for the post, it's Tony Ferguson XT. XT stands for extra tough because that's what he feels he is. He's extra tough. And one thing that really rings true about what he said, it's which is also lined up with his character and how he's carried himself, is that last statement, belt or no belt, I won't allow that to define me. Before he got the belt, he was walking around saying, I'm the champ. I'm the best. No one's better than me. I'm the one that's fighting. I'm fighting everyone. I'm fighting all the hardest people. Bring on the hardest people. I will destroy them. I will defeat them. I don't need a belt to define me. I am the best. Now, there is a bit of controversy regarding that and always has been because you do have Habib who is out there doing his thing, who is undefeated. Um... You do have Connor who's out there, but Tony has been the one putting in the work and fighting the best of the best and taking out everyone. And again, this is just in line with who he is. Belt or no belt, he doesn't allow to define it. And to that, I say salute to you, sir. The Windy City is getting a monster card. They already had the rematch between Whitaker and Romero for the middleweight title. Now they get the lightning rod of Kobe Covington, who will be fighting RDA for the interim title. When this fight was rumored, 
I just knew that this was going to go on the card in Rio de Janeiro, which is UFC 224, takes place May 12th. Just knew that it was going to happen there. However, thinking about it, the last time Kobe fought, he fought in Brazil. Kobe has said so many disparaging things about Brazilians and the country as a whole. Yeah, it just wouldn't be it wouldn't be good for his health <laughs> outside of the cage specifically, possibly in the cage, too. But if that's the case, it's not going to be good for his health in Chicago either. Yeah, it's uh, he said some some crazy things done some crazy things and the last time he was there security had to run him out literally run him out of the arena and into the back because they were hurling all kinds of bottles and cans and projectiles at him as he was walking from the cage back to the dressing area this is Brazil this is Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. These are the same kinds of people who carjacked Shogun Hua, a Brazilian, someone who has brought much glory and honor to the country by being a champion, both in the UFC as well as in Strike Force. They not only carjacked him, they stripped him naked and left him out in the street. You think they wouldn't do worse to Kobe Covington? Because I think they would. So, for his own safety's sake, I think that's the reason that the fight is in Chicago. Uh, That's not going to stop anything. Kobe's still going to talk a whole lot of mess, and RDA is still going to want to destroy him to take up for his nation and his people that Kobe has so thoroughly just disrespected. Another fight that was made for this card is Chi-Town's own Ricardo Lamas and he will be taking on Mirsad Bektik. UFC 226, which is the following month, that is the international Uh, Fight Week card is starting to take shape as well. You've got former bantamweight champion Holly Holm, who will be welcoming former Invicta featherweight champion Megan Anderson to the octagon. Also on that card, you got the surging Rob Font taking on Rafael Asuncao in a bantamweight scrap. Asuncao I feel like last fought on this same card last year, fought TJ Dillashaw and lost to him. So that makes their uh, their fight tilt one-to-one because Asuncao beat Dillashaw some years ago. Uh, Dillashaw is a champion. Asuncao has been on a tear, but you don't really hear about him. You hear about Dominic Cruz. You hear about Jimmy Rivera. You hear about John Lineker. You hear about Marlon Marais. But you don't hear anything about Rafael Asuncao. And I think that's criminal. Hopefully, a win over Font will put him back in 
contention and put his name in the mix of people uh, in line to fight against the winner between Cody Garbrandt and uh, TJ Dillashaw. And if Font were to win, it would raise his profile substantially and put him a step closer to being in talks for the title. Closing things out, Nico Price is going to tangle with Bilal Muhammad. That's right. Got one of the best nicknames out there. Bilal, remember the name Muhammad. They will be fighting at the welterweight limit. And also Julio Arce is going to take on David Tamer in a featherweight fight. Both of those fights have been added to the UFC Utica card, which is a fight night card that will take place on June the 1st. Last week, UFC 223 was the talk of the fight community and just breaking news in general, and understandably so. It was a carnival of calamities. But super low-key, Bellator had a real nice card in Hungary. Headlining it was Ben Smooth Henderson and Roger Huerta. Man, Ben Henderson did his thing. He said in the lead-up to the fight that he knew he had to change some things as far as his approach to fighting was concerned. That decisions just weren't going to do it. He needed finishes. Now, Ben has said this before, but really hasn't done the things needed to bring about those finishes. Oh, but that was not the case. On Friday night, he came out in that first round just throwing with bad intentions cracked where to upside the head with a uh, high kick busted his head wide open I mean just real nice big gash over his eyebrow and then in the second round this happened that a good example of a round that you can discuss 10-8, but it probably falls back towards 10-9. It's right in the middle there. Yeah, he stung Roger. He hurt him. He he was the one that was controlling the fight, controlling the distance, but Roger was in that fight the entire time. He took damage, but not enough to give that 10-8. That's a 10-9 round for Benson Henderson. Better start here in round two for Roger Huerta. Stripped up, stepped on the foot of Ben Henderson. Beautiful axe kick coming to the body. A lot of people think... That's a stop. It's not a stop. It's an axe kick. That's why it's legal. Ooh, he thought about it. And he had a chance at it. Roger did the right thing to stop what he was going to do. He's going for it. There now it he's is. got his legs. It's going to be tight. That was it. Roger Huerta had to tap out to the guillotine submission by my man, Smooth Ben Henderson, but that was not the only finish that happened that night. That was not the only thing that got people buzzing about the car. 
Adam Borses, who is Hungarian, was fighting there at home, and he added a finish to the Bellator Flying Knee Knockout Reel that includes MVP, Paul Simtex Daly, and Air Claxton. And now it's got Adam Borses. Take a listen. Coming up next, after the main event. Oh, right, my that goodness. Wow, that right it. there. Man, that hurts. It. Uh, the damage it's doing. Oh, oh I don't want to get too far into this Bellator recap without mentioning how good it was to hear Sean Grandy calling fights again. Man, I forgot how good he was and how smooth he was until I heard him on the card again. Now, he was there just for that specific fight because he was donating the monies that he made to a friend of his. Uh, So salute to him for that. That is so honorable and it was so good to have him back. Now, Adam Borses, he made the best out of a bad situation. He was supposed to fight James Gallagher. He was supposed to be in the main event, but Gallagher could not fight, was uh, injured, Borses went in, did his thing, like I said, added to the flying knee knockout reel that Bellator has going, and since Gallagher was sitting there ringside, he made sure to let him know, hey, it didn't go down, but I still want that fight, I still want you, which is great, because it sets things up, it ensures that uh, Borses is at least in the conversation for fighting against Gallagher, especially with all the young up-and-comers at 145. You got to get in where you can, and Borses made a statement both with his fighting and with his speech. The Voices Marquee matchup for this card pitted Denise Kielholtz versus Lena Ovechkinova. That was my marquee matchup because I could not understand why they would match up these two fighters. Lena has 12 victories, five defeats. I mean, she's lost more times than Keyholes has fought in MMA. Keyholes is the Bellator kickboxing champion. She has many, many fights there, but not so much in MMA. So why match her up against someone who has such a vast level of experience and not only that wins most of their fights via submission when that's the greatest area of opportunity that Keyholtz would have don't know what happened but Keyholtz wound up fighting Petra Kaskova it was a much more evenly matched fight you can see that they were more so on the same level uh 
Kaskova also has a striking background. She's a boxer. Uh, she lost four of her five boxing fights, and this list is inactive there. She's been fighting the MMA for some years now. Uh, went into the contest three and two, came out three and three as Kielholtz did secure the unanimous decision victory. Again, it was a much more fitting matchup, and you could see that with how things were going. Kielholtz had things on the feet. She was dominating there as expected, but it looked much, much better than it probably would have looked had Lena been able to fight. The curtain jerker for Bellator 196 was Ed Ruth versus Ian Pascu. Ed Ruth also picked up a unanimous decision. His striking is looking better and better each fight, and I like how they're bringing him along, uh, which was my concern regarding Kyohos. It's like, why would you stunt her career by putting her in against someone with much more experience. Now, here's what's interesting. In this fight, Pascu had a lot of experience as well, though. He had like about 16 or so fights. And the fact that Ruth was able to stand in there and uh, hold his ground and come out victorious speaks volumes for the development of the Penn State wrestling star especially because much of what you saw Ed Ruth excelling in was striking, not wrestling. So overall, again, like I said, super low-key, great, great card in Hungary for Bellator. With everything that happened leading up to UFC 223. It could have been an utter disaster. You had Tony Ferguson falling out of the card a week before the fight. In steps Max Holloway, who then is unable to make weight or is deemed medically ineligible to continue to weight cut. So then who's going to fight Khabib? Who knows? Is Khabib going to fight? This will be the third fighter that they're inserting within a week's time to fight. But Khabib was like, it doesn't matter who it is. Bring them all. I'll fight them. So they brought Pettis to the table. That didn't work out. Then they brought Paul Felder to the table. There's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, supposedly, Felder couldn't fight because he wasn't ranked high enough. But the New York State Athletic Commission said that Felder was never brought to them as a possible fight. So who does Khabib fight? Well, he takes on the only New Yorker on the UFC's roster that's never fought in the state. And that would be Raging Al Iaquinta. And that was a great, great fight. Did Khabib absolutely dominate the fight yes and the scorecards said as much 43 or I should say 50 to 43 on one card and 50 to 44 on another and that it might have been 50 to 44 on two cards I think it was either way it goes that 50 to 43 means somebody gave him two 10-8 rounds 
And I can't say that that was the wrong call to make. But what does this say about Khabib and his legacy? He is now the official lightweight champion. But you still have Tony Ferguson out there who has a claim. You still have Conor McGregor out there who has a claim. Is he the real champion? Who's the real champion? Who knows? He fought uh, Raging Al very, very well. There was a bit of controversy because around round three and four, instead of taking him down, because he tried to take him down beginning of round three, that didn't work. He tried to take him down in round four as well, and that didn't work. It seemed as if they uh, were fighting. Sweat was going on. It was a bit harder to take him down. Uh, Al is a collegiate wrestler, so his takedown defense would be better than pretty much anyone that uh, Nurmagomedov had faced before then in the UFC. But he didn't take him out. He didn't absolutely destroy him like he destroyed everyone else. It was still extremely dominant, but it wasn't a stoppage, and I think many people were looking for that to take place. Al is tough. Maybe too tough for his own good. At one point, he stood there and was like, punch me in the face. Come on, keep punching me in the face. So Habib uh, obliged and kept bludgeoning him with jabs until he was bleeding all over the place like okay you're a fighter you're tough we know you're tough that's dumb if you're gonna stand there at least say come on hit me and make a miss i'm just standing there and get punched in the face anyway i digress outside of rda habib hasn't beat anybody at 155 it's all been kind of no names so yeah, I mean, he, he's a champion, but he's not faced the highest levels of competition. And at the time when he faced RDA, RDA was not the championship caliber person that he became. You know, he was just another up-and-coming fighter, just as Habib was. So, mm-hmm, it, it's still a great question mark out there, but lots and lots of opportunity for phenomenal fights coming out of this a fight that most people pegged to be fight of the night but didn't get the honors but was definitely a fight that had many many people talking thereafter was between Rose Namajunas and Joanna Jendrzejczyk oh man this fight was was phenomenal Rose came out in the first round and stayed in Joanna's face. Kept coming at her. Uh, would not give her room to breathe. And that's very different for Joanna. Joanna is usually the aggressor. She's not the one that's on the defense. But she was within the first couple of rounds. Now, one judge, I believe, gave Joanna the second round. Third round, I could see that possibly. Third and fourth, I could see going to Joanna. And then the fifth was definitely, definitely Rose's round. In the third and fourth round, Joanna found her groove, found her range, and was able to start putting together combinations and things and keeping Rose on the defense. But that last round, oh, they were standing there banging it out. 
uh, one person getting the upper hand, the next person getting the upper hand, and then Rose sealed the deal with a takedown late in the round. That was the turning point, and still, Thug Rose Namajunas is the UFC strawweight champion. The fight that did get fight of the night honors, though, was also the voices marquee matchup for the main card. Zabit. ZM Punk Zabit. Doesn't matter what you call him. He is the man. Zabit Magomed Sharapov and Kyle Bokniak. Oh my goodness. Kyle Bokniak went in and fought like a warrior is supposed to fight. Did so well that Forrest Griffin said, look, you're now one of my favorite fighters. You're now one of the people that I want to watch and I want to see. And Bachnack said, hey, that's as good, if not better, than getting the victory. Zabit showed his phenomenal striking skills and well-rounded game in the fight. There was a trip that he hit that in real time, all you saw, or at least all I saw, was him put his hand on his chest, and the next thing I know, he's on the ground. The way that he moved in and made it happen, oh, oh, it was phenomenal. Again, I've got the clip on Twitter, so make sure you are following Trackstar Sports on Twitter so you can see it. I will be putting that back out, but yeah, uh, Zabit is on another level. Uh, this definitely raise his profile and everybody everybody including the champ Max Holloway needs to be watching out for him at 145 pounds the performance of the night honors went to Chris Gritz Grootsmacher who beat who beat Joe Lozon bad Salute to Lozon's corner because at the end of the second round, he had received such a utter beating. I was thinking to myself, if this was boxing, the the corner would have called it. And sure enough, Lozon's corner said, you know what, kid, you had enough. Live to fight another day or live to just live another day with more brain cells. We're calling it. In the realm of MMA, you don't see corners calling fights very often. And it's understandable. Unlike boxing, if you've gone on for seven, eight rounds, there's no way that you can come back and win outside of a knockout. And that's not likely because you're not a knockout puncher or uh, you're tired now. So the ability to get that knockout is, you know, just not really an option. They'll call a fight. Whereas in MMA, the fight can turn on a dime at the last minute, i.e. Paul Craig in London just last month with 10 seconds left in a fight that he lost every single round of, threw up a Hail Mary triangle, put the squeeze on, not only won the fight, he was on like a 
two to three fight losing streak. He was getting ready to lose his position in the UFC because he was fighting the last fight on his contract. He won the fight, won a performance of the night bonus, and got a new contract. That's why they don't call it normally. So again, I salute Joe Lozon's corner because it definitely needed to be called and they did what was best for their fighter. The other performance of the night honors recipient was a man who walked in as the Quebec kid and walked out as the Canadian gangster. Olivier Obama Mercier. Oh my goodness. He put it on Evan Dunham was piecing him up something fierce and then took the man out in short order. Oh my goodness. It was really, really a nice stoppage. And those are the only two stoppages of the night. Of the nine cards, the other seven went the distance. But it was a great, great night of fights. My marquee matchup for the undercard didn't turn out the way I thought it would because I knew that both Ashley Evan Smith and Beck Rawlings were fighting for their UFC careers, or at least to me, it seems as if one of them could go with a loss. Um, yeah, it wasn't good for Beck Rawlings. She lost. She came up in weight, but no power came with that. Um, that was one of the benefits she had fighting at straw weight was that she was a bigger fighter so she came up in weight she wasn't a bigger fighter normally when you come up in weight you're the faster fighter she wasn't in this fight uh, Ashley Evan Smith dominated the entire fight she was the faster stronger fighter and she did a good job of securing the victory nothing really to write home about but a solid win nonetheless Whenever there's a fight card hosted by any of the major organizations, for me, it's a personal holiday. And Friday, the 13th of April, is my personal holiday. I'm going to see Bellator 197 at the St. Charles Family Arena which is a part of the St. Louis metropolitan area for those who don't live here. Oh, and I cannot wait. You got the region's own, High Ridge, Missouri's own, Michael Chandler, who was supposed to be fighting Brett Premise for the title, but Premise got hurt, can't fight. He only fights once a year anyway. He's been fighting since 2010, Eight fights on his record, or 2009 and eight fights on his record. Either way it goes, he only fights on average once a year. Honestly, I think this fight should be for the title or at least an interim title. Tyron Woodley is getting ready to have someone fight for an interim version of the title he has, and he hasn't been out a year, but by the time premise comes back whenever he comes back it'll be a year since he won the title 
by a fluke accident. He didn't even do anything. Michael Chandler stepped wrong, hurt himself, and couldn't continue. Either way it goes, Chandler will be facing Brandon Gertz. I know that uh, the Pitbull, well, not the Pitbull brothers, but Patricio threw his name in the hat, and supposedly that was going to take place. He wanted it to take place with the belt. Hey, that would have been nice. Uh, Patricio has history with Chandler because Chandler knocked out his little brother, Patricky, here in St. Louis the last time Bellator was here. And then he was like, I want to fight you. And Chandler was like, man, I will kill you. So that would have been perfect uh, to have that fight here in St. Louis. But alas, uh, that's not happening, nor is it going to be a title fight. But it's going to be phenomenal to have St. Louis's own Michael Chandler fighting in the metro area. Now, on the co-main, or I should say for the co-main, you got another St. Louisan in uh, Justin Lawrence. He's from Pacific, Missouri, which is only about an hour outside of the area. Hey, we still claim him. He is someone who has had a decent career in MMA and has fought for uh, some of the more notable promotions, specifically the UFC. He was a part of the tough live season and lost uh, in that season to the eventual winner, Michael Chiesa. He will be fighting here in Bellator where he's fought quite a bit um, ever since leaving the UFC. He had three fights there and he won his first one, lost the next two, including one to uh, the 145 champ Max Bless Holloway went to RFA and fought a couple times before joining Bellator in 2015. This will be Lawrence's seventh fight under the Bellator banner, and he has uh, four victories now against two defeats. The most recent loss was against, um, yeah, really, really tough competitors and he's going to be going up against another tough competitor in AJ McKee McKee looks to stay unbeaten in his MMA campaign and all of his fights have been under the banner of Bellator Lawrence feels that his experience will be the difference but we won't know until the pin drops and the cage door locks how things will turn out. McKee has looked like a world beater. He has made everyone he's fought seem utterly inferior to him. Will that be the case? Again, we have to wait and see. Also on this card, you got Devin Brock and Kevin Ferguson, a.k.a. Baby Slice. I should say Kevin Ferguson Jr. Baby Slice. This fight has a special place in my heart because the first pro MMA fight that I saw was Kimbo versus Shamrock here in St. Louis. I'd seen some amateur fights, which also take place at the St. Charles Family Arena. Uh, but my first pro fight was Kimbo versus Ken Shamrock. So to see his son compete 
just a stone's throw away from Dave and Buster's where I had the pleasure of meeting the man makes this all the more special to me. All of Baby Slice's pro fights have been in Bellator, including his debut, which was a loss. Since then, he had two consecutive victories. Brock has only had one professional fight. It also has been under the Bellator banner. And it was the voices marquee matchup for the card that it was on. Why? Because he was taking on someone who has something in common with Baby Slice in that he is a second generation fighter of a famed name in MMA. This being Hoist Gracie's son, Crony. Brock won that fight, won it handily, and now he looks to take out yet another uh, legendary name in Baby Slice. This fight is going to take place at a catch weight of 160 pounds. Baby Slice is supposed to be fighting at 170, but I can't think of a time where he has made 170 yet. It's always been at these catch weights, 160, 165. Hmm, maybe the perfect candidate for the 165 division if they chose to develop one in Bellator. They like to do some new and different things, so... Uh, could be yet another way for them to stand out from the UFC. The curtain jerker and also the voices marquee matchup for this card pits Joaquin Buckley versus Logan Storley. Why is this fight so special? Thanks for asking. It's because Buckley had been on a tear as far as his fighting was concerned lost and I feel like he lost at the card in Chicago last year that I went to check out uh, where it was headlined with my man King Mo and Quentin Jackson he don't think he's rampaging on a buffet so uh, his mother named him Quentin we're gonna call him Quentin anyway I feel like he lost there because there were a couple St. Louis fighters on that card, and I think they all lost. Anyway, Buckley has been on a tear. He's looked like just a star in the making, and he's going up against someone else who looks like a star in the making in Logan Storley. Storley is a Division One wrestling champion and is a protege of Brock Lesnar. Well, Buckley, he fights out of the former Black Zillions camp. So he's got killers that he's going up against like Luke Rockhold, like my man uh, Kamaru Usman, uh, Michael Chandler, all these wonderful, wonderful people. So you have a collision course of rising stars with great pedigrees of fighting and firm known fight teams behind them. They will collide and there can only be one victor. That's why this is the Voices Marquee matchup and you want to make sure that you are watching Bellator tomorrow 
on the Paramount Network. Now, the Voices of Marquee matchup for the prelims, and I'm going to watch every single prelim live. I got a nice seat. I can't, ooh, cannot wait for the fight. But you got a lot of nice fighters on the prelims. So I'm going to see it all. Prelim, postlim, doesn't matter. They're fighting, I'm watching. You got Rebecca Ruth, uh, who's also from Robertsville, Missouri. So only about an hour away. Taking on Juliana Velasquez. Got Derek the Barbaric Anderson. Taking on Zach Buccia at a 165-pound catchweight. But the voices marquee matchup for the undercard. Pits Dominic Mazada versus Josh Sampo. Sampo is a native of the St. Louis area. He was the CFA flyweight champ back when Ashley Evan Smith was fighting Fallon Fox uh, in the CFA. CFA was a regional promotion uh, in Florida. But anyway, I digress. He was the flyweight champ and was a ranked flyweight. He was one of the best flyweights outside the UFC at that time. He did join the UFC riding a five-fight win streak, and he extended it to six with his first bout in the UFC. Then he went on to lose the next three. Granted, he lost against a very strong competition in Zach Funsize Makovsky. He lost to Patty Houlihan on the famed Dublin card where Conor McGregor really got his push and got over to the masses. And he lost to Justin Scoggins on the Jones Cormier card, the very first one. That was also Sampo's last fight. That was back in May of 2015. Now, he did try to get on the RFA card that took place here in St. Louis back in 2016, but he was too ill to compete. Now, three years later, he's making his Bellator debut in St. Charles at the Family Arena. Sambo trains out of St. Charles MMA, and many of the people who train there will fight on the amateur card there at the Family Arena. So it's really a homecoming for him. He's not been doing just any old kind of thing during the time. He had some personal things to deal with, including the death of his father. He also has been working as a science teacher, so he's paying the bills now. And he said he felt like MMA was a job and it wasn't fun anymore. But now it's fun again because he's got something to pay the bills. And what's really been sparking his creative juices has been the fact that he is the wrestling coach for Parkway North, which is a high school in the St. Louis metropolitan area. And not too far away from St. Charles Family Arena. It's just a couple miles down down the highway from where the fight's going to take place. So uh, it should be rocking and jumping because Sampo should have a lot of backing. Now, he's going to be fighting Dominic Mazzotta. And Dominic Mazzotta's had nine fights, nine fights since Sampo last stepped into the cage. 
Not only that, he's won all of his fights, uh, except for one, which was his Bellator debut against the co-main event headliner in AJ McKee, who, as I said, has made everybody look bad, including Dominic Mazzotta. The only other loss on Mazzotta, whose nickname is the Honey Badger, the only other loss on his record is to former UFC Bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt. So he's got skills. He doesn't lose to nobodies. So this should be a phenomenal matchup. Uh, Now, this will take place at the Bantamweight limit of 135 pounds. That's kind of interesting to me because most of Sampo's fights have been at 125, at least from what I can tell, all of his professional fights have been at 125, whereas Mazzota has bounced around between 135, 145, so he should be the bigger fighter in this contest. Granted, Sampo hasn't fought in three years, is older, could be heavier because of metabolism slowing down. Either way it goes, should be a phenomenal fight, and I can't wait. The UFC is back at it again this weekend, and they have a super strong card. They need it because they'll be going up against the first round of the NBA playoffs. Oh, but if you like fights, you need to turn into UFC on Fox 29. Poirier versus Gagey. Justin, the highlight Gagey has the right nickname because his fights are highlights. Both of his fights in the UFC have been candidates for fight of the year. And Dustin Poirier has been doing his thing as of late as well. He did get caught and knocked out by Michael Johnson and Gagey hit super hard. So that combination, uh, yeah, that we don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, Dustin has a really strong submission game. So if he's able to get in and get Gagey to the ground, he may be able to pull it out. Dustin is uh, no slouch on the feet either, though, and throws with power. And Gagey was knocked out in his last fight with Eddie Alvarez. So, again, you just don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that if you like fights, you need to watch this card. The co-main event has Carlos the Natural Born Killer Condit versus Cowboy Alex Oliveira. Uh, Cowboy Oliveira can catch you with some wild shots on the feet, but for the most part, he's known for his ground prowess and being able to submit people that way. Conte is no joke on the ground either, but the natural born killer is known for his ability to just overwhelm and dominate and just beat you into submission with elbows and 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 strikes and knees and things of that nature speaking of strikes and knees and things of that nature 
the last style bender. That's right, Niger stand up. Israel Adesanya will be taking on Martin Vittori. This should be a great, great fight as well. Uh, Adesanya is on the rise. Uh, he's got that it factor. He was saying in an interview recently that he's not trying to be the next John Jones. He's uh, not trying to be the next kind of McGregor. He is the one, the only style bender. Come on, man. Got the swag and has the ability to back it up in the cage. The voices marquee matchup, though, for this card is between Courtney, Cast Iron Casey, and Michelle, the karate hottie, Watterson. Cast Iron has the right name because she is tough as nails and brings, I think, of her last fight when she was fighting Felice Herrig. And at the end, she was throwing some stuff at her and, and Felice was mad and throwing some stuff back uh, at Courtney Casey. I mean, it got kind of wild uh, at the end there, but Courtney Casey is Hawaiian and she's got that Hawaiian fighter spirit. She brings it all the time. Michelle Watterson is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. She was the Invicta Atomweight champion and has done well since coming to uh, the UFC. Won her first two fights. Uh, she is on a two-fight losing streak. However, one was to the current champion, Rose Namajunas, and the second was to Tisha Torres, who is always in contention for, um, for being amongst the top and for fighting for a championship. So, you know, it's not like she just lost to anybody. She lost to people who either hold the belt or are in constant contention for the belt. Yeah, uh, Michelle Waters' striking is phenomenal. Uh, she's got some ground ability, too. You know, she's going to have a great game plan because she has uh, the maestro, Greg Jackson, in her corner. Uh, it, it should just be, it should be an all-around excellent, excellent fight, and that's why I'm looking forward to it. Plus, I just love Michelle Waters. She's got such a great personality uh she's a great follow on instagram as well the prelims have some good fights too matthew lopez signal alejandro perez and perez was a tough latin america winner i believe matthew lopez is one of the fighters that's coming to the ufc from dana white's tuesday night contender series you got gilbert el Dorino burns or Dorino Burns versus Dan Moret. Diego Lima, another tough winner, versus Yushin Okami. But the voices marquee matchup for the undercard. You got John Chico, uh, I'm sorry, John Chicano Moraga, and Wilson Hayes. Moraga hit a rough patch from May of 2014 to January 17, where he lost three in a row. He's only lost six fights in his career, but three of them came in that time frame all in a row. And honestly, I thought he was going to be cut. Since then, 
he bounced back with two victories and is looking for his third against Hayes. Wilson, on the other hand, is trying to snap a two-fight skid. Moraga has shown he can use his high-level wrestling to get the job done, get it to the ground, or use his knuckle game to end the fight. While for Hayes, he wants to use his Brazilian jiu-jitsu to end the fight. Both Hayes and Moraga are former UFC title contenders. Hayes has a stronger strength of schedule, being that he is a former Elite FC champ, and has also faced the best of the best that Bellator has to offer. Growing up on the mean streets of Phoenix, though, Moraga has fighting in his DNA, and he looks to use that drive and use that hunger to gain yet another victory. To keep up with Trackstar Sports, like the Trackstar Sports Facebook page, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Hopefully, I'll be able to give you some live footage from Bellator 197. So you want to make sure you're following us on all social media. New content gets released every day except for Sunday on Anchor.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple and or Google Play. Feel free also to join the Debate Fuel Facebook group. We get it in daily there about sports, all kinds of sports, MLB, NBA, NFL, you name it, we talk about it. Now, the flagship show for Trackstar Sports, our very own sports center, is Debate Fuel. And that takes place live on Periscope at 10 a.m. Eastern Saturday mornings. You can catch a replay of it there later, or you can hear the audio version of Debate Fuel on SoundCloud. Until next time, it's your man, The Voice, host of the Trackstar Sports MMA main card, and I'm sounding off.